0: Welcome to the Wheatfish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz and this podcast is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. I would like to thank Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Thanks to St. Croix, the best rods on earth. And daiwa they've got your bass covered and check out Headhunter Lures. Check them out at headhunterlures.com. They've got a lot of great products there for you to look at. My first guest today is Dan Johnston from St. Croix Rods. We're gonna talk about early spring panfish. And then I talked to Carson Veith. He's gonna talk to us about the steps that it takes to become a conservation police officer. Very interesting. And then Hayden Marbet, he just won $100,000 on the Toyota Series Central Division Tournament down on guntersville listen to what he has to say but first i'd like to remind everybody that this segment is brought to you by st croix the best rods on earth and i would like to welcome back dan johnston how you doing dan Dave, how are you? I am doing good. You know, uh, we're up in the upper Midwest. You in Iowa, and me in northern Illinois. And you know, early spring panfish is kind of starting to start. North of us, it's might going to be a few weeks before they get to see it. But uh, it's a topic I think we try to do once a year, and it, it's a good one.
1: It's a it's a it's a great one because it's it's hard to get our head around because panfish in you know May and June seem like the easiest thing to catch in the world. They're swimming around in two foot of water. I'm talking about the upper Midwest um, So you know we see them swimming around they're in the in the reeds, they're on wood, throw a bobber in there it goes down. Early, early spring is a completely different situation. Number one and I'm talking about early early spring like here a you know March, right? So they're not in that kind of water depth they're not on that kind of cover but the most important thing i really wanted to hit on when i got this topic and this is critical and you learn it ice fishing and you also learn it when you through fly fishing specifically entomology and what i mean by that is and this is different than bass bluegills a lot of time well this really early that time of year are feeding much more on insects than anything else. And the angler needs to understand that specifically like larva and midges and things that in the summertime will come to surface and sprout wings and fly away. But right now they're obviously not. So you can find those in soft bottom, knowing the fish are still deep. You can find them on like old weed lines where the weeds have died. I'm talking about this larva, these type of things and they focus on areas like that. So you'll want to get in that you know, 12 to 20 foot of water, 25 foot of water, find areas like that. And then use something very small and don't move it up around a lot. Don't jig it. Don't reel it in because these insects don't react that way. They're crawling around on the bottom eating stuff. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And, and a lot of people, when they come into my retail store, when you tell them that they're catching bluegills in 16 or 20 or 25 feet or deeper, are like, wow, I, I just normally use use a stick of bobber on there and I put it down two, three, four feet. But they're not there this time of year. And you're 100% correct. And, and you have to go to a slip float for them. It's probably the easiest way or no, no, uh, float at all tight liner.
1: Well, yeah, that's one way to catch them. Another great way to catch them is a little mini, mini drop shot, something you can put the weight on the bottom, pound the bottom with it, not super aggressively, but kind of mix things up and then hold it dead still. And I'm talking about putting a wax worm on it or a little piece of night crawler. It's completely different than the bass thing in terms of what they're eating. You know so I, I think that and, and I've been fortunately very successful doing that in times of year where they're hard to catch but really what it comes down to um, and I learned this from ice fishing it's the exact same technique. It's how they feed it's how they you, you lift and hold They're not running things down horizontally at all um, and it's a it's a presentation that's key and then obviously understanding where they are get out of two foot of water you're wasting your time and get into that deeper water and and try to find if you know how to find soft bottom on your graph that's really big too and long story short you want that bottom line being a lot thicker if you get a really thin hard bright line on the bottom on your graph that means it's a hard bottom and that's not where these insects are right now so if if you can if you can put all those pieces together they're they're big time schooled up (laughs) so when you find them and you present it that way you can do just as well as you do in may it's just a totally different presentation.
0: Yep, you're just going to where they're at right now. What uh, what length dropper do you like to use when you put a wax worm or a red worm or a spike or something like that on
1: on the dropper? You know, top? I, yeah, I don't know if, if there's a rule of thumb on that, but I like to get it close to the bottom as I possibly can. So sometimes it can be like six inches. Yeah, because think about where those larvae are. They're in dead weeds and soft bottom, crawling around. I mean, they're they're really premature at this stage, and so I don't want that bait two foot up, because it's very unnatural. Not to say they won't come up and eat it at all, but I normally start right there. Now, if my graph shows that they're suspended, then I'll drop and hold something where I see them suspended. But if I don't know that, I'm, I'm going to start pretty close to the bottom.
0: Yeah, and I like that you said you learned at ice fishing because when I ice fish, I like to be right on the bottom, in the soft bottom areas, And when, I, especially when I'm using like a wiggler or something like that because that's where they're going to come from and and they're looking for them there. And then when you make that little cloud, you have to imagine what that weight's doing or, or a jig head or whatever you're using. It, it disturbs that surface and that, Uh, attracts them a lot
1: yeah and crappies are a little different especially in reservoirs and lakes if you if you have bait fish that are residing year-round and you got real small shad i get it you can find them suspended and catch them on minnows and no question about it so that part of it's a little bit different i'm more talking about perch and bluegills are completely different than crappie that time of year in terms of the way you go after them
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and uh uh the nice thing about these is we both love to eat fish, and those panfish are tasty.
1: So oh, they're the best, especially out of cold water. There's no doubt about that.
0: Yeah, early in the season like this, uh, early spring panfish, you can't uh, do that. Uh, would you, uh, if you're on crappies, would you uh, consider using a minnow if they're suspended or off three, four, or five feet off the bottom?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, crappies love minnows. Now, they'll absolutely eat a wax worm. No doubt. I mean, thousands of monowacks were mice fishing, but I, you know, you could use both. You really crappies, the gloves are off and, and crappies are a little different because this time of year, when I say this time of year, I'm talking about right now here in Iowa. I mean, our lakes are starting to open up. It's February. It's going to be coming into March. This is the time we're talking about. They will still be suspended. And that, I'm definitely using my electronics. I'm trying to get a little above them. Uh, the gloves are off on what I'm using. I'm talking about open water. Uh, you know, ice fishing is the same way, but this podcast is on open water. And it's the same type of presentation. Find them. Don't think horizontal. Don't throw it out and reel something in super fast for sure. Um, get over the top of them. Drop it down above them and make them come up and get it. But, yeah, a minnow is very effective for crappie this time of year.
0: Yeah, minnows are good, the waxworms like you said, uh, wigglers if they're available, you might find those somewhere in the north as the ice starts to go away. I, whenever I can use a wiggler ice fishing, I always do and uh, dan always appreciate the great information you uh you give in this early spring panfish uh information. Kind of makes me hungry. It's uh it's <laughs> a, a plate of pan-fried bluegills or crappies or perch, there's nothing better than that and uh always appreciate your time and look forward to uh, talking to you next week. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is always brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. We will be right back after these messages.
2: Daiwa MagForce Z, similar design to our SV system. Reels with MagForce Z excel when it comes to casting control while fishing bigger, heavier baits. Our standard reels have a fixed rotor on the spool meaning the braking pressure is consistent across the entirety of the cast. MAC-4C incorporates a spool that has a dynamic rotor that can adjust out and back from the spool. This gives you maximum control and casting precision. Daiwa.
0: There are a lot of factors that go into catching fish consistently. Weather, time of year, available forage, and many others. Another huge factor is your tackle consistently performing, especially your lures. At Headhunter, our lures perform day in and day out. From crankbaits and jerkbaits to spinnerbaits and jigs, Headhunter makes product that produces and is consistently affordable. Better lures, better colors, better price, backed by 90 years of experience. Headhunter, try us once and you and the fish are hooked. For over 75 years here at St. Croix, we believe every angler deserves the best fishing experience possible. In being equipped and prepared, for the moment opportunity strikes. You can only provide control if you are in control. Our legacy is being written every day with decisions today determining our successes tomorrow. We value contributions and successes of all individuals, protecting and preserving the things that matter most, taking care of people like family, the persistent pursuit of perfection, St. Croix. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Kranz and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say that everybody I get to interview on this segment has a passion for the outdoors. My next guest is going to talk about something interesting. We've talked about many careers in the outdoors, whether it's uh, writing, writing, uh, doing some kind of press or YouTubing or something in social media, working for a rep group, working in a tackle store. There's so many things you can do in the outdoor industry. My next guest is Carson Veith, and he's going to talk to us about the steps it takes to becoming a conservation officer. Welcome to the program, Carson.
3: Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here.
0: Oh, no problem. So full disclosure, Carson worked for me in high school and college, and, uh, he, uh, had a dream of becoming a conservation police officer and uh, he's getting ready to do that maybe you can talk a little bit about the school and the training and everything that it took to get you to where you are today
3: yeah so this the whole journey started a long time ago so right now i'm I'm 22 and this started when I was 14 or 15 years old uh, in high school I had broken my arm uh, playing hockey and I got stuck in study hall during gym class, and I got stuck watching Northwoods Law on my uh, on my computer, and I just thought, man, that's like a really cool career, and my dad worked in public service, and I always loved the outdoors, so I kind of put two and two together, and I was like, you know what? This is it. I'm going to do whatever I can to become a, a conservation police officer, so at age of 16, I started working for you, started working for you, and I think April of 2018, and um, that was a, a big part of my you know, informal, informal education of natural resources. You know, growing up in the Chicago suburbs, there's not a whole lot of outdoor recreation opportunity compared to where I live now in Central Wisconsin. And I clung to everything outdoors I could, especially in fishing, as you will know. When I, when I first started working for you, I knew some about fishing, but as I as I worked and and got more experience, I, I learned more about fishing. You know, we did the deer business and. Just kind of being immersed in that environment. So I spent three years working for you at the tackle shop and doing the deer business, and I sunk myself into whatever I could. I ended up going to college at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Um, I'm majoring in resource management, conservation, law enforcement, and I wasn't so sure about Point at first. I had heard about it. I, I'm gonna be honest with you, I was thinking man you know it's, it's a school in the middle of nowhere and then, you know, the colors are weird and they got that dog as their mascot i was like ah, that ain't gonna be it but uh, point point makes the best warden so uh after high school i graduated in 2020 uh from high school I, I headed up to point and obviously that was the year covid hit my my fall semester was all online actually my first year was all online so my first year of college was a joke it was bare minimum online work and I, I just hunted and fished. That's all I did. I, I got into waterfall hunting and that's I was like a sponge. I just soaked up all I could. Just that's, you know, you hunt three, four times a week and I started hunting with other guys that really knew what they were doing and, you know, had good ethics and good morals and I uh, went to the police academy, police academy my sixth semester that was built into the degree at Stevens Point, and I got certified to be a law enforcement officer. And this past summer, I got to work part time for two different agencies. And um, one of my positions was what you would call like a recreational deputy, I was a a water patrol deputy. I worked on the water, um, doing Wisconsin Chapter 30 enforcement, you know, boats, navigable waterways, stuff like that. Uh, You know, just making sure I got enough life jackets and, you know, stuff like that, boating OWIs, pretty, pretty easy, simple stuff. I got to work with the wardens a lot too. So, But that was more like my formal traditional education, but I did a lot of of out-of-the-classroom stuff, too. Um, Volunteering is a really big thing, especially in making yourself a marketable candidate because a lot of people want to be game wardens and conservation police officers, but it's it's a hard job to get. And how you can market yourself as an applicant is equally as important. So it's not just what you do on your on-time doing your education. It's what you do in your off-time. Um, I did aquatic invasive species outreach uh, for two years. I gave up my opening morning of duck hunting to go out and educate waterfall hunters on aquatic invasive species. I was very, very involved with my college's uh, Ducks Unlimited chapter, and I still have good ties with all those guys over there. I went duck banding. I I got the opportunity to go down to Memphis, Tennessee in August of 2022 uh, to a huge conference full of... Uh, other collegiate DU chapters and it was more like a business thing but it was still cool that everyone was there with a big passion for conservation so other than that I was, I'm was i the president currently of the Student Law Enforcement Association here at UW-Stevens Point um, I'm finishing out my senior year if I didn't mention that um, and I was lucky enough to get hired by a state agency in the Midwest um, and I'm, I started in April um, and I've been very blessed with a lot of great references like Yourself, Dave, and and people in different industries and uh, other law enforcement that I've gotten to meet and share experiences with throughout my, you know, just seven year journey, as I call it. And it's been a heck of a ride. You know, it's it, it almost isn't real that I got hired. Um, I'm not gonna lie to you; it hasn't fully hit me yet, mainly because I haven't started. But um,
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: it's it's wild. It's been a wild ride. So. Did that answer
0: your your question? Yeah, absolutely. We're, uh, you know, we do. Um, like I said, we talked about so many different uh, careers in the outdoors. But this is one that, if you're interested in the outdoors and you don't just want to live it on the weekends and work on, you know, a nine to five Monday through Friday, this is something that's going to keep you outdoors and around it, even if you're not participating, uh, fishing and hunting yourself, but, but around those fishermen and the hunters. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that, uh, conservation police officers and, and people that work in conservation districts, education is a big factor of that. Like you said, uh, invasive water, uh, critters that are trying to get into different bodies, uh, whether that's weeds or whether that's uh, zebra mussels or things like that, but that I'm glad to hear you mention that.
3: Yeah, education is a huge part of the job, especially in law enforcement. And, um, you know, I could just go out there and sling tickets all day long, but uh, especially this summer, I spent a lot of time explaining stuff to people because, you know, some people just don't know. And, you know, especially with, you know, an experience I had was with new voters. You know, you don't want to just, you know, take it all out on new voters because they didn't know. You don't want to scare people away. You know, we talk about, I don't know if you ever heard of like R3, you know, you want you want to recruit people and you want to retain them. You, you want... You want people to enjoy the outdoors that maybe weren't involved before. You know, you get someone new to fishing or new to boating, new to hunting, and, you know, they're doing things safely or ethically, and, you you know, you want to maybe they're off the track a little bit. You know, you want to steer them in the right direction, and how you choose to do that through enforcement education is up to the discretion of the officer. But uh, I did a lot of education this summer, and uh, I think – for someone who wants to go into this career, it's, it's not just slinging tickets. Granted, you know, enforcement action needs to be taken. Um, you need to have good communication skills, and you need to be able to, to educate as well and, and be well-versed in the law that you practicing
0: that is excellent and uh yeah for full disclosure i do know about r3 because i sit on the committee for the recreational boating and fishing foundation that is in conjunction with the american sport fishing association so i'm very familiar with it and uh definitely uh glad that you mentioned that and glad that you brought it up because it is important and uh we have we have burned through the time carson but i am so glad i had you on and anybody uh that's thinking about uh, becoming a conservation police officer. Think about it, Uh, do what you need to do, prepare yourself, volunteer like Carson said, and uh, definitely appreciate your time and good luck with your career.
3: Well, thank you, Dave, I appreciate it, I really do.
0: No problem. That was Carson Veith. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. And this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. The Wheatfish ASA podcast will be right back after these messages. Calcutta Outdoors. From bluegill to bluefin, Calcutta Outdoors has the innovative outdoor recreational brands that consumers are looking for. We offer a wide range of trusted products, from fishing rods, combos, and tackle, to coolers, drinkware, outdoor apparel, and marine accessories. Calcutta Outdoors. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and
2: easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn-out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash.
0: Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Iowa. Our SV system is made with one thing in mind, casting control. The design of the spool as well as how the spool interacts with the braking system gives maximum control and ease of use when it comes to situations people might generally struggle with. Whether it's casting lightweight baits, skipping, pitching, casting into the wind, or even if you're just getting accustomed to a bait casting reel, SV is designed to help you excel. When set properly, SV reels virtually eliminate backlashes Iowa. welcome back to the we fish asa podcast i am dave kranz and this program is brought to you by the proud industry members of the american sport fishing association my next guest has been on before he was in some winning some high school national championships and some college events and uh he just won a hundred thousand dollars down at the uh Toyota Central Series opener at Gunnersville. welcome back Hayden Marbett
2: yes sir thanks for having me
0: on oh no problem you uh you had a good week I think you fished the week before in the BFL there also didn't you
2: yes sir yeah I uh I was actually up there for like 10 days straight so I got back
0: to Auburn last night and slept in this morning I was I was pretty exhausted I I would turn him in the
2: BFL as
3: well. Uh,
0: And for the listeners out there, uh, Hayden's a twenty-year-old. He's in school at Auburn. Um, That hundred thousand-dollar check is a big thing to see hit your bank account. Yeah, um, it's kind of
2: shocking. I don't even know if I can really wrap my head around how much money that that is.
0: It is a lot and it will help your uh career in fishing or your college or any anywhere you want to go with it, that's for sure. Did fishing the BFL and being there for that many days in a row was was that the key?
2: Um, you know, there's so many changing conditions while I was up there and like just everything completely changed, you know, in the in the BFL there was a big storm coming in the night after the BfL and they'd already dropped the water twelve inches, so it sucked a lot of fish out of the grass, you know, and just pulled them out into some of the ditches and drains and stuff like that. And, you know, I ended up having twenty five eleven in that one and got four. Uh, yeah. I got fourth in the BFL. And then, you know, I, I went back out the next day and they were ripping the current. It was raining for the next two days. The first two days of practice for the Toyota water came up 14 inches, you know, back up, up to full pool with Yeah. You know, that changes a lot of stuff up, especially this time of year, you know, pre-spawn spring, stuff like that, and the water moving up, those fish want to move up with it a lot of the time. And then the water got really stained as well, which doesn't happen on the Tennessee River. The Tennessee River typically stays really clear. Just a lot of that eelgrass stuff and gunners will keep typically, you know, Keeps it super clear, but it got more stain this week than I've seen it get in a long time. They're pulling 100,000 CFS occurring out of both ends, you know, of the lake. So it was definitely rolling a lot of floaters and stuff like that. Not your typical Lake Guntersville.
0: No, no. And, and this wasn't a slam dunk. You had 22-10 the first day, 25-1, and then 22-6. You, you won this by two ounces.
2: Yeah, uh, it, was, uh, it was about as close as you can get.
0: And, and so for those that say they don't have to be that particular about making a call for an ounce or two, that there's 100,000 reasons why you, you needed to do that.
2: Yeah, you know, 100%. I was, using, I was using the catch commander scale all week, you know, weighing every fish, making sure, you know, it's always an ounce in the game. And something as small as that can cost you a ton of money in this game. And, you know, even just have, having a good – live well system and everything like that, using your rejuvenate your juju juice and stuff like that, you know one dead fish in that tournament cost me four
0: ounces I you know I lost a hundred grand, which is pretty crazy to think about it it is it is were you able to call quite a bit?
2: yeah, um you know there's so much change in the first day, I kind of like bounced around a good bit and I caught like one four pounder pretty early and it it got to be eleven o'clock the first day and didn't have a whole lot and a place that I fished and practiced that, you know, turned out to be my best area throughout the whole tournament. I pulled up there and caught a one over six, one over five and a half and, you know, like a four and a half and a couple smaller ones and then it was time to go way in. And then, you know, the second day I kind of just stayed around that area and really kind of broke it down and figured out a lot more about the area and caught 25, 25 one, I believe. And then, the last day I really just milked it for all I had left in it and it was pretty crazy
0: to for it to shake out the way it did. Yeah, yeah. Well, another twenty two six on top of that. That was uh, over seventy pounds. Uh, that that was a phenomenal tournament. Um were the fish uh, all pretty much in the same general depth of water or were they in a the range? Um, anywhere from fifteen
2: to thirty. You know, I was I was targeting some of the bigger fish from the Alaska I've stared at that screen a lot over the last couple of years, and if it, you can really start to tell what's a bass, what's a crappie, you know, I know it's hard for some people to tell, and what's a drum, there's a ton of drum in Guntersville, so it was nice just having that experience of staring at the screen so many hours over the last couple of years to really understand and perceive the knowledge I was taking in.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that, of course, if it had been a couple of weeks later and that water temperature warmed up, that they'd probably be in half that depth.
2: No, yeah,
0: no doubt. Yeah, or up on flats and in in shallower. What was the key bait? Uh, I was just using a rig. You know, I was using a three eighths
2: and a half ounce Picasso Lures tungsten jig head, and then just a fluke style bait.
0: Okay, now do those those young drum? Are they a, a forge for them as well as uh, shad?
2: Uh, a little bit. You know, they're focusing in on. There's a ton of fin shad, and that was really kind of like what a threadfin and gizzard shad there's a couple little schools of gizzard shad that I'd swim through throughout the day that you'd see and uh, that's really what i focused on throughout practice was just finding as much bait as possible and i found two two areas that had a lot of bait you know just out of the current and they're right out one of them was right outside of a pretty big spawning bay and the other one was like just a current just out of the current on the river and uh both of those places had a little bit clearer water, which I think was the big key, you know, just a little bit clearer water and allowing those fish to see my bait from a little bit further away was definitely key to getting a couple more bites because it's hard to hit them right on the head. I don't care how good you are with lives go whenever the current's rolling like that, and the wind's blowing, you know, seven or eight miles an hour and, the fish are swimming around, chasing bait, and they're twenty foot down, but that little bit clear water definitely helped me get a couple extra bites,
0: yeah, and you know they're heading up on those flats. What was the water temperature um so in the b f l it's
2: like fifty one and then this week in the Toyota, it got
0: up to you know fifty two and a half, okay, so not not too much difference but but uh you know where they're heading, their mindset is they're going in to spawn, and that was definitely uh uh, a benefit, but and so did many other people fishing because you know it was such a tight tournament, there were a lot of good bags there. Um, not that there aren't on Gunnersville, 20 pound bags are pretty, pretty common. Uh, listen, Hayden, I got to take a quick break for some sponsors when we come back. I want to hear about who helps keep you on the water, and uh, we'll, we'll talk some more. I am Dave Kranz, this is the We Fish ASA podcast, and we'll be right back after these messages. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or
2: five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube, but I've completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits.
0: The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs onto it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth too. This is a let's get it done tube. There are a lot of factors that go into catching fish consistently. Weather, time of year, available forage and many others. Another huge factor is your tackle consistently performing, especially your lures. At Headhunter, our lures perform day in and day out from crankbaits and jerkbaits to spinnerbaits and jigs. Headhunter makes product that produces and is consistently affordable. Better lures, better colors, better price, backed by 90 years of experience. Headhunter, try us once, and you and the fish are hooked.
2: St. Croix, crafting the best rods on earth takes a team effort. It takes a lot of hands to produce a St. Croix fishing rod, 32 to be exact. Every rod we manufacture is carefully crafted, assembled, and tested by passionate professionals who want to ensure you have the best fishing experience possible. St. Croix,
0: the best rods on earth. Iowa, our SV system is made with one thing in mind, casting control. The design of the spool as well as how the spool interacts with the braking system gives maximum control and ease of use when it comes to situations people might generally struggle with. Whether it's casting lightweight baits, skipping, pitching, casting into the wind, or even if you're just getting accustomed to a bait casting reel, SV is designed to help you excel. When set properly, SV reels virtually eliminate backlashes. Daiwa. The We Fish ASA podcast is back. I am Dave Kranz. We are going to talk more with Hayden Marbet. Hayden, we talked about uh, sponsors. Who do, who's helping you on the water? Who's keeping you out there? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've actually got a couple of new ones this year that stepped on big. You know, as I
2: stepped up to the Toyota Series level, you know, this was actually my first Toyota series event and it, it wouldn't have been possible without a couple of the guys that got on board this year, you know. Ridgeline Roofing, they're a roofing company here in Alabama and they've actually got locations all over the southeast, you know, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, everywhere, you know, they're really growing right now and they do a lot of roofing and they just they do a great job. And they stepped on big this year, you know, as my title to help me out. And then Mike's Marine Supply down in down near Tallahassee, Florida, you know, they they put me in this Phoenix Yamaha this year. And, man, it's, it's my dream boat. I've loved it. And I can't thank them enough. They stepped on to help me this year. And, and you know, I've been with Picasso Lures for a couple of years. And, you know, I actually got to win it on, on Picasso Bates, which was pretty special. And Hammer Rods, they've, they've been helping me for a couple of years now, a ton. And, you know, it's a great rod. I've, I've used them for years. And couldn't be more excited to work with those guys. And then P-Line, Costa, and uh, Courtcom, all those guys who, who's making it possible for me this year, and, you know, I can't thank
0: all of them enough. No, you do, you did a great job for all of them. You did a great job for yourself, and uh, what about the next two uh, Central Series uh, Toyotas? How are you feeling about those?
2: Uh, pretty good, you know. I, I haven't I been to Smith Lake in years, you know. I, I grew up in Alabama fishing high school stuff, so I, we'd go there every once in a while, but Man, I haven't been there for like three or four years, so I'm excited just to go out there and go fishing, and you know we'll go swinging again, try to get some more good points towards the invitationals, and then we'll wrap it up on Lake Chickamauga. You know, another another TVA lake, getting getting close to ledge season.
0: So hopefully, I can find some offshore in that one and uh, fish the way I like to. Yeah, yeah, that that sounds good. Now you're still fishing uh, college too, aren't you?
2: Yes, sir. Yeah, we had
0: our first uh, Bassmaster College Series event um, last or two weeks ago at Lake Murray. Yeah, that's uh, it. Sounds like the efficient schedule interferes with that uh, learning schedule.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Um, After I get off here, I'm probably going to have to sit down and do some schoolwork for a while, which is. Which is gonna be pretty hard to do, but you know we'll we'll have to get it done so we can stay eligible to fish college and everything like that. But it's it's not too bad. My professors are always you know usually more than willing to work with me and help me out and everything like that. I actually just just got an email from one of them congratulating me. A- a couple minutes
0: ago. Yeah, and, and you know what? With uh, with all sports out there, and, and fishing is a sport, it is athletic, uh, and those that think it's not, let them stand on the front end of a boat practicing from, uh, uh, oh, dark 30 to, to sunset and, and do it day after day after day. You said you were on the water for what, almost 10 days in a row, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I was on the water pretty much, you know, daylight, dark, 10 days in a row, except I slept in a couple hours till you know 8 30 or so the day after that bfl but i don't know it's just crazy to see it all pay off i've spent so much time out there in the summertime that's just kind of where i grew up fishing my great grandparents had a place up there my whole life so i spent a ton of time out there and to see it it pay off the way it did it's just something super special and you know i had a ton of friends and family show up for way in and can't thank all of them enough you know it was just it's really hard to put into words was, I didn't know if it was going to happen or not I didn't know if I had enough fish saved for that final day and you know I made a long run and pulled up on my my best place and I caught 20 pounds in the first hour and you know just felt everything was just feeling right and clicking and I didn't really uh, get a bite for a while and I started running around and I came back to that place at the end of the day and, or not the end of the day but about you know midday 12 o'clock and, I caught one I think it was like a 540 something and just sat down to retie because it, it choked it and I stood back up and it was just like the craziest one of the craziest things that's ever happened in my whole life I, I stood back up and it was like god it just dropped a four and a half pounder right in front of my troll motor I didn't touch my troll motor or anything it's just my scope was perfectly just staring at one, like 30 feet in front of the—20, 30
0: feet in front of the boat, and I pitched over there shot straight up and ate it, and that was the one that, you know, helped me win by two ounces. So absolutely. it was just a super special week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how about long-term goals? I, I'm sure you wanted to—you've at, at, been fishing for a while, high school and your, your college career, and it's been going well. And does this solidify trying to become a professional fisherman going forward after you're done with school?
2: Oh, yeah, you know, that's, that's always been the goal. That was the goal before this. That was, that's, been, that's been what I've worked towards, you know, every single day since I was, you know, in high school, or especially really since I turned 16 and I could start towing this boat around all over, you know, the southeast and everything like that. That's been, that's been what I've been working towards my entire life. And, you know, this, this money and this wind definitely gives me a ton of confidence, and it'll definitely help me a lot financially as I try to go on and uh, chase this dream.
0: Yeah, absolutely. How many uh, more years of school do you have left?
2: I'm a junior this year, but I'll be a senior next year, and uh, I'm gonna have to stay five years as much as I've fished this, these first two years.
0: Yep. I, well, yeah, and that's that's the case for a lot of people that whether they're doing a sport or fishing or or not, uh, it's uh, it's not always done in four years. And uh, and it's what do you, hard,
2: it's hard to in four years. <laughs>
0: it is. What are you studying? Oh,
2: uh, marketing
0: perfect and and that's what i always tell people that are want to fish and uh, not everybody's going to make it to the top levels but the marketing degree there's a lot of companies in the outdoor world that need people doing marketing and uh there's a lot of opportunities out there but uh, yeah so so you're going to do two more years and how about plans for the tournaments you're going to try to do uh, the toyotas again uh going forward or add to it or what are you doing doing when you're out of school yeah, uh,
2: I'm going to fish the Toyotas, you know, the next couple of years. Um, I might jump in those northerns this year, like I was telling you earlier, and try to get some more experience up north. And then other than that, you know, just jump in some BFLs and Toyotas and I'm working on getting my captain's license right now so I can start guiding more. And then, uh, you know, you're in some, eventually, you know, either try to qualify for the Invitationals and work my way up to the BPT or, you know, jump in the Opens and try to make the Elite Series.
0: Right, right. There's there several different angles to go there and, and a lot of people try to do both and and where they end up doing the best, they, they take the first opportunity that goes. I don't think it's a, a lack of loyalty to any of it. It's, it. I think it's it's a fishing opportunity and you have to really take it when it comes to you.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, to me, you know, if you're able to fish for a living, you're able to fish for a living or, you know, attempt to make a living fishing, it's, it doesn't matter to me what
0: circuit it is. If I can... If I can do that, that's living the dream in, in my book. Absolutely. Well, do well in school. Continue to do well on the tournaments. I look forward to watching you and, uh, and seeing how you end up the season. And you have a great start this year. And, uh, Hayden, I uh, truly appreciate your time and uh, keep up the great work.
2: Yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I hope we can do it again sometime
0: soon. I hope so, too. And when you win again, we'll have you on. Yes, sir. Have a good one. You too. That was Hayden Marbet. I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast. I would like to thank my sponsors. Thank you for everything you do. Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Iowa, they've got your bass covered. And Headhunter Lures, check them out at headhunterlures.com. You're going to be impressed with what you see there. Thank you for uh, Dan Johnson giving us. Some tips on early spring panfish. Carson Vietz, very interesting about what you need to do to becoming a conservation police officer. And you just heard from Hayden Marbitt, winner of the Toyota Series Central Division Opening Tournament. We look forward to seeing great things from him. I'm looking forward to bringing you the We Fish ASA podcast next week. Until then, please take someone fishing to help grow our sport.